Listen, you guys, I got an email um, this week, and when I get emails like this, I get angry, and then I get really sad, and then I get really riled up. This is the reason why I preach the way I do, and I preach about what I preach about. Listen to this email. Hi, Pastor Peter. I hope you're doing well. Not sure if you remember me, but I've attended New Community regularly in the past. I actually haven't been going to Sunday services ever since I started working full-time. I know that that's not the best excuse or shouldn't be excuse at all. But ever since then, I've kind of lost who I am. I've been broken, insecure, depressed, just lacking confidence overall. If I can tell you how many emails I get where someone opens up by saying, I'm struggling with insecurity, I'm depressed, I'm broken, I don't know who I am. I'd be reading emails every week. Listen, then she says, I've been trying to find myself for the past couple months now, and I just can't break this downward spiral that I seem to put myself in. My current relationship at the moment has its ups and downs. Ever since I first found out that my boyfriend cheated on me more than a year ago, I've never gained my confidence back. Ever since then, I've been insecure, worried, just emotionally dependent. Um, how many of you guys can go, that's uh, an email I could have written sometime this year? Anybody? Oh, okay, like three people? Okay. I know that one solution is going back to church and reconnecting with God. Well, even that, I sometimes think that I'm too ashamed for everything I've done and that I can't get myself to go back. Do you see why I preach about the gospel every week? And some of you are sitting there going, I understand this stuff. No, you don't. Because if you understood the gospel, you would realize that regardless of your failures, you could run to your heavenly father. Regardless how jacked up you are, he is open and accepting of you at all times. Regardless of how much of a mess you've made of yourself, you are never beyond redemption. Do you hear me? You sit there. If you sit there going, why do you always talk about, you know, God's love? Because you don't get it. I sometimes think I'm too ashamed for everything I've done and I can't get myself to go back. Not because I don't want to necessarily, but because I feel like I'm not worthy. In addition to my boyfriend, I also have a very demanding, stressful job. And being the only minority there, I never feel like I'm as smart or as capable as other people. I just wanted to hopefully get your advice on what I can do to make my life a bit easier. By that, I mean, what can I do to gain my confidence back, be more independent, do things for myself, and just overall relive who I used to be? I'm not sure if there are exercises or podcasts I should listen to to help. I listen to past sermons from church regularly, and that helps me get through the day. But I was hoping to just gain some advice or maybe more guidance. This could have been written by any number of us. Maybe not the specific details, but the general gist of it. We do, we're doing this sermon series because I've been th- I'm trying to tell you every week that there is a battle going on every day for our belief system. 
there's a battle going on for our minds. Do you know why? Because what we believe will affect our emotions, and our emotions will affect our behavior. Let me say that once more. What you believe about God, about yourself, and about the world around you, your belief system will affect your emotions. If you're sitting there going, I'm anxious, I'm worried, I'm insecure, I'm afraid, and I go, why? You go, just because. Not just because. Your insecurity, fear, anxiety, worry is directly related to your thoughts and belief system. And our emotions, of course, affect our behavior. How many dumb things have we done because of fear, insecurity, worry, anxiety? You see? The worst thing that this person could hear from church is this, just try harder. How many of us heard that growing up in church, though? The worst thing that you could tell this person, listen carefully, is read your Bible more or pray more. Those are important and they're critical to a spiritual journey and transformation. But this person is battling what you and I battle with, which is what? There is a warfare for what's going on between our ears, for our minds. Why? Our thoughts affect our emotions and our emotions affect our behavior. And Apostle Paul knew this. That's why in this chapter on spiritual warfare, Paul says something incredibly interesting. Listen to what he says. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And the thing that Jesus most often says about Satan is that he is a liar. This is who we're dealing with. His choice of sin are always cloaked in deception. Satan doesn't come to you and go, why don't you give in to that lust? Because, you know, it's going to end badly. He doesn't do that. He comes and he lies to you. Go back to the garden. How is Satan at work? He's not scaring them. He's not possessing them. What's he doing? He is what? Lying to them. Satan doesn't leave fang marks on your flesh. He drops lies on your heart. If you're messed up today, I don't even have to know you. If you're messed up today, if I'm messed up today, right here. What we believe about God. See, I've been a pastor for 20-some years. And I can, I can tell you, one thing that I've known about humanity is, Christians especially, Christians say all kinds of things. You know, we say, we sing, I know who I am. No, you don't. I know, we say all kinds of things. But here's the thing, here's the thing. People rarely live what they profess, but they always live what they truly believe. And if Satan could get you to believe his lies about God, about you, and about the world, he's got you. He's got you. I'm insecure. I'm worried. I'm anxious. I'm angry. I can't forgive that person. I can't give it. I can't stop this addiction. It's our belief system. See, I've used this example before. So a stranger walks into our church, and he goes to this wall right here, and he goes, You're unlovable! Half the people will look at him and go, what a jerk. What the heck was that? It's not true. Walks out. And then two other people. It's like somebody drove a stake through their hearts. Now, why? What the person said. The person said the same thing. Two people respond. Very, why? It's not what the person said. It's what you believe about what the person said. Passing this church, I've talked to a lot of people who say this to me. My life is ruined. Why? Because of my parents. My parents wrecked my life. Okay. So how's it going now? It's, well, parents are dead. How long? I'm sorry. When did they pass away? 
10 years ago? Your, 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 your parents wrecked your life. They wrecked my life! But your parents haven't said anything to you for 10 years. It's the lies I believe about what my parents have said that sunk deep with it. Um, I've used this analogy before. You know, when you lift the piano and you sing a note, the note that that string is vibrates. That's what Satan does. He knows your insecurities. He knows you're prone to self-pity. He knows what gets you anxious. He knows. So what does he do? He comes and he vibrates a string. Do you, <laughs> you think it's a mistake, an accident, that the thing that you're most insecure about, you're always insecure about? The thing that you're most afraid of is the thing that you're always most afraid of? Do you think it's just an accident that a thought comes into your mind that makes you deeply insecure and you're sitting there going, man, you know, Satan's just playing his strings. You're unlovable. I'm unlovable. You're unlovable. Who would love you? God doesn't love me. God doesn't love you. Why would God love you? Nobody wants me. Nobody wants you. Who would want to be with you? Satan just comes and vibrates. Satan can't make a good person bad. He makes a flawed person worse. He just vibrates your string. Ding. Ding. Why do you think when you read the Bible, it's almost as if Paul knows this dynamic and he spends half the books that he's writing just about here's who God is. Here's what he's done for you. Here's who you are. <laughs> you sit there going, that's not very helpful. Tell me what to do. Paul goes, no, 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 no. Here's who God is. Here's what he's done for you. Here's who you are. If I were to grab some of your Bibles, I'd like to, so those of you that like to highline and underline, you know, <laughs> most of us, the parts that are highlighted in all the Bible are the to-do stuff, you know what I mean? Let me show you what I mean. This is a passage you've been on, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to just basically Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, the next like three, four weeks, and, and, and this is, this is, a passage that gets the issue of identity. There, there isn't one sermon series topic because it's about identity. It's about spiritual transformation. It's about spiritual growth. It's about life change. It's about, I mean, it's about all of those things. And, 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 and Paul encapsulates all of that in 17 verses in this amazing book. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with God in Christ. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And you sit there going, that's not very practical. That's not very helpful. You want to get to this, right? Verse, verse 5, put to death, therefore. Here's the thing. You got to understand. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you do need to underline that and circle it. Because whenever you see the word therefore, what Paul is saying is, you won't understand what I'm about to say until you understand what I've just said. Paul is literally, every time he says therefore, he goes, you need to understand what I have just said. Otherwise, the motivation for what you're going to do is going to be wrong. The power that you need for what you're going to do is going to be wrong. And also the strategy for what you're going to do is going to be wrong. You can't just ignore everything that came before, therefore, and try and do thereafter. That's a recipe for failure. Do you understand that? Therefore. Therefore, 
Whatever belongs, he says, put to death. Your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. How many of us, how many of us would like to struggle less with impurity? How many of us would struggle less with lust? Not all of us. How many would struggle less with fear? I mean, this is no brainer. We go, but, but Paul says, no, 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 but they're there for. You can't just go to that. You got to go there for. Well, what came before the therefore? Because of these, the wrath is God's coming. Verse 7, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Verse 8, but now you must rid yourselves of all these things like anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your You know what I realized? All those things go together. Uh, I'm going to share an incident at the end of the sermon. Something got me really angry. Then it turned into rage. And then it turned into malice. Then all kinds of filthy stuff came out of my mouth. I was like, whoa, that's interesting. (laughs) But you can't deal with rage, anger, malice, filthy language until you understand what came from before, therefore. What's before, therefore? Your power, you, what's before, therefore? Motivation, what's before, the? Verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of image of its creator. Verse 11, here there's no Gentile, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and it in all. Verse 12, therefore, there it is again. No, Paul's going, pay attention, because what I'm about to say, you can't do until you understand what I have just said. Pay attention, because the motivation, the power, the strategy for it, you can't do it until you As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved or beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive each other. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Verse 14, over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Verse 7, and whatever you do, whatever in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This follows Paul's pattern in every one of his letters. He never gets to, so here are things you need to change. Here are things you need to do. Here are things that you need to behave. He never gets to that. He always goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Here's what God has done. Here's what God has done for you. Here's who you are in him. Here's who God is. Read the book of Ephesians. Three chapters. Here's who God is. Here's what God has done. Here's who you are in him. Colossians. Here's who God is. Here's what God has done. Here's what God has done in you. Why? Because what we do flows out of who we are. What we do flows out of who we are. And Paul says, your behavior will never change unless you understand who God is, who you are in him, and what he has done. You'll never change. These beha- it's a pipe dream until you understand who God is, what God has done, and who you are in him. They don't become a reality because you try. These behaviors become a reality when you renew your mind to the truth 
I'm going to say this a million times, who God is, what God has done for you, and who you are in him, and then you act on it. Why? Because what we believe will affect our emotions, and our emotions will affect our behavior. And Paul says, here's who God is. Here's what he has done. Here's who we are in him. You've been raised with Christ. You are seated at the right hand of God. You've died with Christ. And you're hidden with God in Christ. Michael, pastor, will you help me with with this, please? How many of you guys find this Tupperware illustration actually helpful? Nobody? Why am I wasting all my time doing this? Thank you, sir. Bring it. Thank you, Byron. For those of you that are new to our church, this is the only exception in which you can put God in a box. (laughs) Sorry. That's so corny. (laughs) So corny. Sorry about that. That actually thought about all week. I'm like, I wonder if that's going to be funny. Uh, (laughs) Apparently, that's half of you. When, when you become a Christian, Paul uses the language of baptism. Other things. When you become a Christian, Paul says, you become so identified with Christ, you become so identified with Christ, that God sees you as having participated in everything Christ did. This is, I'm illustrating for you Colossians 1, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. You need to, and this is a brief of you from last week because you're sitting there going, is he going to do that again? Yes, for two reasons. Number one, you don't understand. You think you do. And number two, it's a brief recap because we need to get to our part for today. You become so identified with Christ that when Christ died, God says, it's like you died. When Christ rose, it's like you rose. When Christ ascended, God says, it's like you ascended. As far as God is concerned, he sees you as if participating in everything else. What did Christ do? Let's go from here. Ephesians 2, verse, chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you are, it says, the Bible says, dead in your transgressions. And sin, in which you used to live when you follow the ways of this world and are the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those of us who are disobedient. And the reason why, I illustrated this for you last week. And I said, not only are you and I in sin, but we see that sin is in us. And the reason why I say that is because, like I said, I have conversations with people who go, you know, Jesus Christ died for sin, evil and justice. And they mean kind of out there. You know, people out there. And the gospel fails in its impact because what the Bible says is sin, evil, and justice isn't just out there. It's in where? It's in where? It's in us. On the cross, Jesus isn't standing in place of sin. Jesus is standing in place of us. You need to understand the gospel starts with, it's not, the problem isn't that you're not in church as this dear sister things. The problem isn't that you're not in some better moral environment. The problem isn't that you need better. The Bible says the problem is you and I are in sin and sin is in us. The problem isn't that we're just bad people. The problem is that we're dead. We're spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. By the way, last week after this, I had two people come up to me and go, do you know that when I was... Bible says spiritually dead, unable, and to be told the truth, unwilling to seek God. Two people came up to me and said, do you know why the illustration is so helpful for me? I said, why? Because you were like deeply engrossed in sin. He's like, not just because I was deeply engrossed. He says, because you could not have convinced me 
that the thing that got me out of there was my own effort because I had zero desire for God. Like none. Like none. That's what the Bible says. Not only are we unable, we're unwilling to seek God. We're dead spiritually. And then what did Jesus do? Jesus takes us out of sin. It's Colossians 1, 13 and 14. What does he do? Oh, this is so glorious. Can we read this together? I'm going to have you guys read these verses together with me. Ready? Colossians 1, 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. While we were still sinners, while we were still in sin, unable, unwilling to seek God, God seeks us and rescues us. The difference between Christianity and all the other religions is this. Jesus Christ doesn't come and say, I know you're in sin, and here's a book so you can rescue yourself. Christianity says, you have no chance to rescue yourself, so I'm going to come and rescue you. Deliver you. Do you understand the difference? When you're in this, good luck with rescue. Good luck with, I'm going to save myself. Good luck with, give me a set of teachings and I'll just do it. Good luck with, I'm sort of a bad person, but I'm kind of good in a few. Good luck with that. Because the Bible says, you have no shot. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to rescue you. And transfer you into the kingdom of the Son. Where we're the redemption and forgiveness of sins. And you need to understand, I'm going to introduce two new words to you today. You need to understand what it is that Jesus did. Because I had somebody come and go, Peter, you just took me out of sin and just put me in the son of Jesus. Is that all there was? I go, oh, man, you realize what Jesus had to do to do that? Two things. Theologians call it, I'll put it up there, both passive obedience and active obedience of Christ. The thing that Jesus had to do to rescue us and to deliver us into his domain is passive and active obedience. What is passive obedience? Passive obedience is a negative side of what Jesus came to do. Passive obedience is Jesus obeying God and receiving the punishment that we deserved. And we're all familiar with that. Jesus comes and he passively receives the punishment for our sins in the early 1900s. This is a true story. Two Chinese brothers in Chinatown It's a powerful illustration of the gospel. The older brother was a good, dutiful one. The younger one was always getting himself into trouble. And he was hugely addicted to gambling. One day, he was gambling, lost all of his money, then got into a fight. And he took out a knife, and he killed the person that he got into a fight with. Blood all over. He runs from the gambling hall, goes home. He takes off all of his clothes, all blood-stained clothes, puts on new ones, and he just took off. He just took off. Now, the thing about that story is that the person that was in the house that saw all of this happen was his older brother. His older brother wasn't too much older than him, just a few older than him. He looked like him, similar height, similar size. The older brother takes off his clothes. He puts on the blood-stained clothes of his younger brother. The authorities come, of course, and they've heard general descriptions about 5'9", 150 pounds, and they tagged the older brother and said, are you the man? The older brother says, I'm the man. True story. Older brother then gets, of course, charged with the crime, is executed for his crime. Years pass, the younger brother is overwhelmed with guilt for what he's done. Goes to the authorities and says, I need to tell you what happened. It was me. It was me. In which he's told by the authorities, 
the penalty for the crime has been paid for. We can't arrest you. Do you realize that that's what Jesus did for you? When we talk about the passive obedience of Christ, do you realize that because of what Jesus did on the cross, standing in your place, that when God sees you and me, he says, I see you as free from the guilt of anything that you've done. As if you yourself have paid for the crime of all your sins. That's the passive obedience of Christ, you see, that enables us to be redeemed and to be placed into him. Now, what's active obedience? Because passive obedience is pretty cool. Passive obedience is, I am free. I am free. But you're out in the streets. You have no job. You have no home. You have nothing. What is active obedience of Christ? I love this. In the Gospels, Jesus goes, and he's about to be baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist, look at Jesus, goes, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a mistake. You're Jesus. I can't baptize you. And Jesus says, you need to, so that we could fulfill, listen, all righteousness. What was Jesus saying? Jesus saying to John the Baptist, John, remember that I came to represent humanity. I came to fulfill all righteousness. That is, I came to live a perfect life. I came to live perfect obedience of God's commands in thought, in word, and in deed. I'm here to do everything that humanity has to do, but I'm going to obey it perfectly. Now, let me ask you something. What, what does someone like that deserve? What does a perfect man deserve? If a criminal is liable for punishment, what is a perfect hero liable for? What is a perfect life liable for? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. This is the powerful truth of the gospel. At the moment of salvation, not only do we receive the benefits of the passive obedience of Christ in him dying in our place so that there's no more punishment coming our way, but we also receive the benefits of the perfect life that he lived and the rewards of that perfect life that he lived. The power of the gospel says, not only does Jesus take away our punishment and set us free, but Jesus gives to us the perfect life, the perfect righteousness that he lived. Is that good news to anybody? Do you know what that means? Read this together. Romans 6, 11. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. What? In Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? As I said this last week, you have a new zip code, new address spiritually. That means you have a new identity, a new position, and a new power. That means that when God sees you, he mostly sees Jesus. Annette, is this good news? This means that when God you know what this means? This means that wherever Jesus is, <laughs> you are. This means that whatever Jesus has access to, you have access to. This means that whatever Jesus, do you understand the gospel? This is so much more than Jesus died for me so I can be forgiven if I go to heaven. You have no idea what happened to you when Jesus Christ came into your life. 
Wherever Jesus is, you are. Whatever he has access to, you have access to. Whatever God thinks of Jesus, guess what? He thinks of you. That means that when you are in Christ, God looks at you and he goes, there is no sin in that man. Oh, my goodness. That means that God looks at you right now. And you're going, but do you know what I did last night? God says, when I look at you right now, in Christ, I see you as holy, as blameless, as righteous as my son. This is what Paul is trying to hammer into your head and my head because as I get to, we don't believe it. Chapter 3, verse 1, what do you think he means when he says, since that you've raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And if Christ is at the right hand of God, we are what? <laughs> See, if Christ is at the right hand of God, we are the right hand of God. And do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? When a king sends out his son into a dangerous mission and the son fulfills that mission and he comes home, the father sees the son. And do you think the father just goes, nah, good to see you. No! The son comes home and the father's heart bursts with delight. His heart bursts with joy. His heart First, with love. And he says to that son, son, come on, sit at my right hand, which is the highest place given to any human being in the kingdom. And God says, if you're in Christ, that is where you are. Ah. Ah. <laughs> Say something. How many of you are sitting there going, but Peter, I don't feel it. I said this last week. I don't want to freak you out, but some of you are sitting there right now, and Satan is going, <laughs> this is true about everybody but you. Who do you think you are? That's, that's nonsense garbage he's talking about, because you know what you did last night. In fact, you know what you're planning to do tonight. Do you hear the voice of the enemy who is coming to you and going, garbage, nonsense, not true. True of everybody, but not you. True of them, but not you. True of this guy sitting next to you. Even him, but not you. And you're sitting there swallowing wholehearted because you're sitting there going, not me. It's not me. It's not me. And Satan's going, bing, bing, not you. Bing, bing, not you. Bing, bing, not Why do you think? I preach on this until I lose my voice and I get so sick I should have stayed home. So why do you think I do this every week? Because you get it? You don't. Because, no, I understand it, Peter. Can we move on? You do. Do you know how strong you'd be if you understood this? Do you know how courageous you would be? Do you know how you would handle criticism if you understand that? Do you know how you would handle rejection? Do you know how different your life and my life would look if we understand that? If we understood, if we understood, if we understood, if we understood. Can I, church, can I ask you a question? Yes. <laughs> what part did you play in this rescue? Say it louder, Trevor. What part did you play in this rescue? We have, hello, 
been delivered and been transferred and been placed and been seated at the right hand of God. We do nothing. We don't earn it. We don't pay for it. We don't moral our way. We don't good our way into it. We do not do anything. That's why I say the determining factor is never our past and our present, but Christ's past and Christ's present. If you didn't do anything to get in on this deal, what makes you think you could do anything to get out of it? If you didn't good your way into this, what makes you think you could bad your way out of it? If you didn't go to the dance by yourself. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, this is so ridiculous what Satan does. That's why I hate him. For what he's doing to you and to me. God offers acceptance not on what we do or don't do, but on what Christ has done. That's why it's an acceptance that can't be gained by us, but it can't be forfeited, regardless of what we do. I'm telling you, don't understand it. You don't, you don't, you don't. Un- this, can I tell you, can I show you how you don't understand it? You say you do, but you don't believe it. I'll tell you, I'll prove to you that you don't believe it. See, when you and I sin, you hear a voice in your heart that haunts you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? How can you call yourself a Christian? Whoa. (laughs) It's like a radio frequency. How can you call yourself a Christian? God can't love you. There you go doing that again. You'll never overcome that. What if somebody found out? And here's the thing. This voice, it haunts you. You don't just go, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm in Christ. He's in me. I'm accepted. I know who I am. We don't do that. It haunts you. Do you know why it haunts you? Because even though you say that you're accepted by grace, deep down inside, you think you're accepted because you're good. So when you fail to be good, the voice haunts you. When you fail to obey, the voice haunts you. You've been a Christian for 20 years. By the way, somebody goes, but Peter, how do I know that's the devil? What if it's the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you exactly how. The Holy Spirit never condemns. He convicts. The Holy Spirit's voice never comes and goes, you're worthy, you're unworthy. Who do you think you are? That is never the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he's spirit of truth. And he convicts us of our sin, never condemns. So when you hear a voice that says, you're worthless, God can never love you, who do you think you are? That's the enemy. Do you know why for some of us that have been Christians for 10, 20, 30 years, intimacy with God is like a foreign subject? Do you know why? Because if you're in a relationship of performance, And if you fail, you know you're going to be rejected. You will never trust that person, which means you'll never be intimate. How can you be intimate with God if you fear that he'll reject you if you don't do well? Do you know why, even though you come to church and read the Bible, you always go in intimacy with God? What is that like? Because your relationship with him is performance-based. And as long as it's performance-based, and you think that somehow what you do is going to determine his feelings towards you, you will never trust him, and you'll never be intimate. But I don't understand. Your marriage is like that. Do you know why your marriage lacks intimacy? 
I'll tell you exactly why. You don't trust the person. Why don't you trust the person? Because your relationship is performance-based. If you don't trust that regardless of who you are, that that person will love you unconditionally, you'll never be your true self. And if you're never your true self, if you're never fully known, you can never be fully loved. If you're never fully loved, you'll never know intimacy. Same thing with God. Same thing with God. It's kind of like, why do I lack intimacy? Because deep down inside, you're religious performance-based. And you know what else happens? It also affects our intimacy with other people. I don't know about you, but there's something in me. When I start feeling condemned, I condemn other people. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When I feel judged, I start judging other people. Like, what the heck is that? Do you know why we do that? Because when we feel condemned, the only way to make ourselves feel better is to condemn others and prop ourselves up. That's why self-righteous Christians, by the way, there should be no such thing as self-righteous Christians if you understand the gospel. Self-righteous Christians are some of the most insecure people in the world. The only hope for you and I to change is when you come to realize that God still loves you even if you never change. The only way that you'll get better is if you come to realize that God loves you even if you never get better. That's the only way. And if there's something rising that goes, yeah, but Peter, <laughs> we've been delivered. We've been delivered. Colossians 1, 27 then says, say this together with me, ready? To them God has chosen to make known among the gent, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So not only are we in Christ, but you saw that little sleight of hand. I did it earlier. Not only uh, are we placed into Christ, but Christ comes into us. Beautiful thing when you become a Christian is that we don't receive a bunch of teaching. We receive a person who comes to live within us. In the Colossians 3, 3, let's say this together. Ready? For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So here was what we have. Not only are you in Christ, Christ in you, but you and I in Christ are in God. And then Ephesians 4, 30 is the last one. And do not, say this with me, grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You're in here and you've been sealed. You've been sealed. Like get the most powerful duct tape crazy glow. I don't care what you get. You've been sealed. And you know the crazy thing is, transfer people, transfer people actually walking around going, I don't know if I'm loved. I'm all alone. You're all alone. Who, 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 who is going to want to be with me? Who is my wife? Good Lord. Good Lord. Please don't say I understand this stuff, Peter. Why are you doing this all over again? Because if you understood this stuff, do you know how strong you would be? You wouldn't get upset for criticism. You wouldn't get upset for hurt feelings. You wouldn't need approval like you do. You wouldn't need power like you do. You wouldn't need control like you do. You and I would be able to move through life with poise. It's information, but it hasn't sunk down to you. Paul says, set your mind on this. Set your heart on this. Now, as I end this sermon... I want to begin to apply as we turn the corner. What what does it mean to set your mind, set your heart on this? Have you ever heard this? There's desserts that are just so bad for you, but so good. 
that just looking at it makes you gain weight. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you, know what the, you know what does that for me? It's that, it's that nasty chocolate cake. That nasty chocolate. That's like my favorite nasty chocolate cake. Why are you laughing? It's that na- because it's nasty. Just looking at it. I'm like five pounds. Just looking at it. Listen, listen. It's this nasty cake from Maggiano. I am telling you, this chocolate cake from Maggiano is the greatest, greatest invention in the world. Listen to what this says, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 3, 4, 30. It says, if we behold his glory, we are transformed into it. If we behold his glory, here's a person, here's Jesus. His glory is so great that, and it's so amazing that just to look at him, to love it, and to, and to, and to love him is to change you. Has anybody been encouraged today for the last 40 minutes? I said this last week. Do you know why? Because all we've been doing, I have been coming up and go, do this, do that. All we've done for the 40 minutes is behold his glory. Here's who he is. Here's what he's done. And Paul says, Eddie, I need your help. Because you're the closest guy that looks like me. So come on up. I need your help. Come on up. Come on up. I need your help, bro. Stand right here. Right here. Practical. You want practical, right? So here's what Bible. Don't care. Why is your face turning red? I'm not embarrassed. <laughs> Verse 12, listen, it says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and beloved. Paul says, here are three words, and here's Pastor Peter telling you, here are three words that you need to set your mind this week, set your heart this week. Three words that are true of you if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ. And Paul used the analogy of taking off our stuff, clothes, putting on new clothes, okay? I'm not going to have you, don't worry, okay? Taking off, put on, okay? Because I've got props, bro. Oh, yes. So if you're in Christ, first word. Everybody say this with me. Come on, say it like you mean it. Come on, say it like it's good news. Chosen. Any chosen people today? Uh, do, 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 you know, do you know why? I actually called you because your last name is Cho. And so I get it, get it, yeah. <laughs> I'm full of these one-liners today. Anyway, okay. Get it, Eddie? Chosen, Cho. Okay, anyway. That's not why. That's not why. That's not why. I needed a tall, skinny Asian dude. All right, that's who he is. All right. Anyway, chosen, chosen. Here's what Paul says. He's getting to the issue of identity when he says, take off, put on. He's getting to the issue of identity when he says, take off, I'm going to say one more time. He's getting to the issue of identity. He's saying, hey, if you're in Christ, you don't walk around wearing rejected. You, you don't walk around wearing, I'm still a sinner. That's not who you are. Paul says, every day, every day, Eddie, you get up in the morning. Go ahead, man. Put it on. Put it on, bro. Put it on. See, I was supposed to do it until I realized that this mic that they bought for me, it was just like I can't. So, Plus, you have a much nicer body than I do, so it'll, it'll, it'll go on much better. All right, here we go. Go ahead. Go ahead. Put it on, bro. Of course it's a little tight. I bought it. Of course it's going to be tight. Anyway. Let's <laughs> 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 just take the thing. Just do the whole model, model. Listen. Now listen, listen, guys. This is, here's what, listen, listen. This is great news for the news of this is, so you didn't pick God. God picked you. 
I mean, is that good news for somebody today? It's like God just came on the scene and says, uh, I, I'm, I, I'm just going to show up and uh, I'm going to choose you. And do you, do you, do you want to see, see how God chose you? Do you want to see how God chose you? God didn't, do, God didn't do some spiritually lottery balls. You know what I mean? Like, all right, let's see who gets. Listen to this passage. Ephesians 1, verse 4. For he chose, say this together, ready? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. He said, God wouldn't select me. My girlfriend deselected me. My boyfriend deselected me. My boss deselected me. God wouldn't choose me after some things that I've done. Here's some truth that will blow your brain. When did God choose you? Before the foundations of the earth were laid. That is like eternity. In other words, God beat you to choosing you. By like eternity. Is that good news to anybody? Are you sitting there going, why would God choose not after? It had nothing to do with what you've done. God says, God says, before your mom and dad even met, I chose you. Before the foundations of the earth were even laid, I chose you. Before you were even an idea, I chose you. Is this amazing news? See, and the, the, the amazing thing is, some of us walking around and think about some of the most dysfunctional things we've done, how much of the most dysfunctional things we've ever done is because we are desperately every day trying to get somebody to choose me, somebody to select me, somebody to say, I approve you, somebody to say, I like you, somebody. All of our lives we spend every day, somebody choose me, somebody find me, somebody select me, somebody, and God says, do you know who you are? Say it with me. I am chosen. So what would it be like for you to go, I am chosen, man. I am chosen. I, God chose me. Wait, wait, wait. So are you Friday, free Friday night or what? Friday, free? Yeah, I'm free, but chosen. Wait, are you free or are you chosen? Both. I'm free and chosen. Make reservations for three. There's two of us coming along. Anyway, okay. So here we go. Next word, next word, next word, next word. Say it with me. Like you mean it. Is this good news? Yeah, Eddie, put it on, bro. By the way, can I? <laughs> Jenny made this for me, by the way, my amazing wife. And she says, Peter, make sure when somebody's putting it on, the A and the T don't fall off. Okay, anyway, go ahead and put it on. What's that paper? Every day, every day. I don't know what's in your closet, but I could, I could assume, I could assume, I could assume what's in your closet, because you know why? Because I know what you're wearing today. You're in church, and you know what you're wearing today? You're not wearing, saying, you know what you're wearing? You're saying, I'm just a sinner. You know, you're, you're literally sitting here going, I'm just a sinner. I'm worthless. I'm a reject. You're literally child of God, Christ in you, in Christ, in God. See what the Holy Spirit's saying? I'm just, so here's a question for you. Here's a question. For you. What's your question look like? I'm just a sinner who could do a saintly thing once in a while. Is that your gospel? Or I'm a saint in Christ. I am made new. And if I choose to, I could ignore everything that God has said and choose to sin. But I am a saint in Christ. By the way, you said, you know, where'd you get the word saint from? Paul says, and this is amazing, to the church in Colossae, to those who were sinners, but now saints. This is who you were. You were a sinner, but now you're holy. That word literally means saint. You're holy. You're holy. What's your Christianity? I'm just a sinner who could do a saintly thing once in a while. 
I'm just a sinner. Who's saying, and God says, no, 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 that's who you were. There are no sinners in this room if you're in Christ. There are redeemed, forgiven people. Is that good news? Last one, last one. I got to wrap this up. Beloved. And Ivy says, dearly loved. I like this better word. I like this word better. Beloved. Beloved. Can we say this together? Beloved. Can we say this together? Beloved. Beloved. Eddie, go ahead and put that on, bro. (sighs) You're such a good sport. (laughs) See, as Eddie's putting this on, I'm going to say it to you. What's in your wardrobe? Every day you and I walk into the closet. Every day you and I walk in the closet. And we go, oh, I'm going to wear this today. I'm going to wear reject today. I'm going to wear this today. I'm just a sinner. I'm going to wear this today. God can't accept. I'm just going to. How many of you are walking in and saying, I am the beloved of God? Do you, know, do you know why this is powerful? You know why this is powerful? You know why this is powerful? The reason is powerful because you believe that God loves Jesus. But do you believe that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus? Because that's what that means. Oh, man. Oh, man. Eddie, I know you can't breathe right now, so. (laughs) Can we give Eddie a big hand? You can go back and change, bro. You can go back and change. Cece, Cece, come on up. Church. I, I literally don't know if there's more that could be said. Because to me, I realize at a certain point, it becomes no longer about what we know. Which is the reason why Paul says again and again and again and again, daily, every second, every moment, you got to renew your mind. You got to take off the old. You don't wear reject anymore. You don't wear reject anymore. You don't wear sinner anymore. You don't wear that anymore. This I just thought of. I didn't think we only need one outfit. It's a three-piece suit that says chosen, holy or saint, beloved. I just gotta end this. How many of us sitting here this morning have trouble living this reality out? Will you stand from where you are? Stand up, stand up. Stand up. Yeah, yeah, stand up. Come on, come on, stand up. Come on, stand up. Come on, stand up with me. Stand up with me. Stand up with me. So I'm just, I'm just going to assume if you're sitting, if you're sitting, if you're sitting, and I love you, you know that unconditionally. If you're sitting, you're sitting there going, oh, I get this, Peter, I understand it. Man, every day I'm waking up, every day I go to the closet, boom, beloved, that's me, walking out. Boom, beloved, walking out, Boom. Holy saint locking up. Every day, I'm not asking them to choose me, him to choose me, her to choose me. I am chosen of God, man. I'm walking up. For those of you that are standing right now with me, because I stand with you, take a moment to pray. This is truth, but it's not reality to you and to me right now. This is knowledge but it hasn't sunk deep within. If you're standing today here and saying, I need these truths to be real to me, 
we are doing communion. And so this is particularly poignant for you. Okay, you need to understand that at some point when you come down to take communion, you understand that what you're doing, what you're doing when you take the bread, you dip it in the cup, you take it. What you're doing is you're saying, God, everything that Peter talked about today, me in Christ, Christ in me, me in God. As I'm taking this today, I am believing, God, that you are going to make this a reality in my life. That's God's part. The part that you and I play. If you're standing, pay attention. The part that you and I play is that last week and this week, there's an insert in the bulletin that has every single I am, (laughs) I am statements in all of the Bible. I am, I am, I am. What you and I do to put this on, set our minds, set our hearts, is we wake up in the morning and before anything else happens, we pull that thing out and we prayerfully go down one by one and say, I'm wearing this today. 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 There is the part that you play of setting your mind and setting your heart. And then there's the part that God plays as he warms your heart, as he warms your soul. If you're standing, put your hand up, palms up like this with me. And I'm going to pray this prayer. And pray in your own way the essence and the content of this prayer. God, I receive as a gift. I receive as a gift the righteousness of Christ. I don't earn it. I don't pay for it. I don't good behavior my way into it. I don't perform to it. I don't church to it. I receive it as a gift. And I receive not my feelings, not what the world says, but I receive as a gift the declaration of God that says I am chosen. I am a saint, and I am beloved of God. If you're standing, repeat that part with me. As a gift, I receive the truth that I am chosen, I am a saint, and I am the beloved of God. The Holy Spirit, take this truth and the declaration that we lift up unto you. And we need you, Holy Spirit, to make this a reality. We need you, Holy Spirit, to make this truth a reality in us. That we would act on it and live out the truth of what God says. I am chosen of God. I am the Holy One, a saint of God. And I am the beloved of God.